Welcome to the One God Report podcast. Bill Schlegel here. The title of this episode is I Took the Trinity Quiz and Failed. As I was browsing the internet on the topic of the Trinity, I came across the Gospel Coalition website. I don't know a lot about the Gospel Coalition. I do know that it's an evangelical organization, kind of a coalition of different people that affirm certain evangelical positions. And their webpage is a combination of articles and videos that have been put together to give a total presentation about the Trinity. And as I browse down, I see there's four essential affirmations about the Trinity. The first one is, there is one and only one true and living God. That's good. The second point is, this one God eternally exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, being a real evangelical, sola scriptura, the Bible-only type of organization, I'm sure that there would be many places where a phrase like God the Son and God the Holy Spirit would occur. But unfortunately, I don't think that we are going to be able to find the phrases God the Son or God the Spirit in the Bible. But we'll continue on and uh, give them some slack for the time being. The third point of the four essential affirmations is these three persons are completely equal in attributes, each with the same divine nature. Interesting. Well, as a biblically-minded person, I'm, I'm sure the Bible is going to be filled with evidences of these things. But oh, let me go to the fourth point. I think my question number three is kind of related to the fourth point as well. The fourth point is, while each person is fully and completely God, the persons are not identical. The differences among Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are found in the way they relate to one another and the role each plays in accomplishing their unified purpose. Now, I have a feeling that a lot of this course is trying to combat modalism. Because I think a lot of Trinitarians kind of flip in and out of modalism, the, the idea that God, there's only one God, but he's manifesting himself in three different modes. But here's my question. When they say these things like the three persons are completely equal in attributes and that the differences among the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are found in the way they relate to one another and the role each plays, to me... They're overlooking the biggest difference between the Father and the Son. Even in Trinitarian ideology, one member of this Godhead has a human body or took on a human body. That's a huge difference, and that's supposedly an essential difference. And one wonders how in the world they could forget about that huge difference that one of these members has a human nature. And all they say here about their differences is how they relate to one another and the role each plays. Okay, maybe you could squeeze the human nature into the idea of the role that God the Son was supposedly playing. But come on, are we already forgetting that God the Son took on a human nature? Why wouldn't they list that difference right away? The next statement they make is, as you begin studying the Trinity, the quiz below will help you determine 
whether your beliefs line up with the historic Christian views of the doctrine. Okay, now again, with an evangelical background, I'm thinking historic Christian views is going to be in Bible, right? This is the, the beginning of the belief in Jesus as Messiah starts with Jesus himself, the Gospels, the Apostles, of course, based on the Old Testament scriptures. But a historic Christian view should begin with the scripture. So I'm thinking that in my own mind. So I'm, I click on this quiz now, and I invite everybody to take this quiz. I'll put a link to the webpage. And there's 33 questions. Now, I don't think I want to get through all 33 in this podcast, but I want to start to go through this. How well do you know the doctrine of the Trinity? Here are 33 statements related to the Trinity. Simply answer true or false to each one. You will receive your score at the end. Okay, fun. A little true or false quiz there. Usually pretty easy. Okay, the first question. There is one God. That's true. Got it right. True. The consistent testimony of the Bible and Christian creeds is that there is one God. See Athanasian Creed, which begins, Now the Catholic faith is that we worship one God. Wow. Okay, right away I'm wondering, why do we go to the Athanasian Creed? I think that dates to around 500 AD, 500 years after Jesus. Nobody really knows who wrote it. It's got the name Athanasian slapped on it by somebody later. But Okay, fair enough. I believe there's one God too. Let's go to the next question. Question two. God is one person. Well, I am going to approach this quiz from a biblical standpoint because I think historical Christianity starts with the testimony of the prophets and then, of course, focuses with Jesus. So God is one person. I'd go with true in that one. Oh, false. See statement four of the Athanasian Creed. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Spirit. All right, I'm again a little bit frustrated and surprised that an evangelical institution would jump to the Athanasian Creed for their description of the nature of who God is. But all right, let's keep going. Question number three, God is three beings. No, we've already said before that God is one, so I'm going to put down false. And the answer is false. I got that one right. They give uh, some evidence. See James White's definition of the Trinity. James White is a modern evangelical apologist. I think he's evangelical. Sometimes he wears his big cross. He looks like a Greek Orthodox priest. He's written a book called The Forgotten Trinity. So James White says, With the one being that is God, there exist eternally three co-equal and co-eternal persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, I got that question right, but I think for the wrong reason. But let's continue. Question number four. There are three persons in the Godhead. Well, I don't see any Godhead in the New Testament, so I don't think there could be three persons. And I'm pretty sure the scriptures simply say that God is one. Yehovah Yudhevave is one. So no, I would say that's not true. That's false. The answer is true. I got it wrong. And the reason given here, see statement four of the Athanasian Creed. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, another of the Holy Spirit. The Athanasian Creed again. Where is the Bible? I want the Bible in that one. Question number five. The three persons in the Godhead have always related to one another as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's false from the biblical perspective. 
I got it wrong. That's true, according to historic Christianity, at least they think. This is true, they say. See statement number five of John Frame's assertion. And they give five assertions here. Now I have to figure out who John Frame is. Let me just read the number five. It says, the three persons are eternally related as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, so John Frame. i got to figure out who he is. Let me Google him. I'll be right back just a second. Okay, I'm back. Kind of like the intermediate state. After death, all of a sudden, there we are. Next moment, resurrection. But John Frame, I see he is a Christian philosopher and Calvinist theologian. It looks like he was involved with Princeton Theological Seminary in Westminster, and he wrote a book called Systematic Theology, an Introduction to Christian Belief. So he's a modern theologian philosopher. So John Frame is going to be my authority on who God is and who the Trinity is. Again, I'm not so sure why we couldn't come up with some good biblical evidences for the answer to that question. Question number six. Each of the three persons of the Godhead is one-third of God. No, that's not right. There's no such thing as a Godhead, and God doesn't get divided into parts. So I said false. Hey, I got that right, but I think for the wrong reason. Here the statement says, each person is fully God. The Trinity is indivisible. See the Athanasian Creed again. Quote, now the Catholic faith is that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. Okay, question number seven. The Father is fully God. That's, amen, that's true. True, I got that one right. See, the Athanasian Creed. Boy, I really got to go to the Athanasian Creed to know that the Father is fully or truly God. All right, let's go on. Question number eight. The Father has the whole fullness of God's being in himself. Hmm, God's being. Is this a biblical idea, the fullness of God's being? What is God's being? What they are trying to do here is say that being is the same as essence or nature. I think I'm still going to say true. I mean, to me, it just means that God is totally God. I got it right. True. Oh, we're back to John Frame, though, for the evidence. See statement three of John Frame's assertions. The three persons are each fully God. Oh, I got it right for the wrong reason again. Okay, let's continue. Question number nine. The Father is eternal. Yes, this is First Timothy chapter 1 and chapter 6. So a couple other places, the Father is eternal. I got it right. True. Oh, we got James White to confirm it, though. See, James White, definition of the Trinity, within the one being that is God, there exists eternally three co-equal and co-eternal persons. Well, I got it right, but for the wrong reason again. Sometimes that happens in tests, and you get lucky. Question number 10, the Father is not the Son. That's pretty simple. That's true. True, I got that one right. Now, again, I think there might be targeting the modalists, understanding of who God is here. But see, number four of John Frame's assertions. Wow, we got to go to John Frame to know that the Father is not the Son? Okay, John Frame says, each of the persons is distinct from the others. Makes sense. I'll skip a number of questions because many of them relate to modalism. Questions like, the Father is the Son. False, right? You don't want to say that the Father is the Son or the Son is the Father. 
If you think that, you'd be a heretic, according to this webpage. So you can't think that the Father is the Son or that the Son is the Father. So I'm going to skip those questions because I get those answers right. I don't believe the Father is the Son or the Son is the Father for a different reason, but I'll skip over those questions. Let's go to the next question, number 12. The Son is half human and half divine. Well, that's ridiculous, but no, that's just totally wrong. That's, uh, that's false. False. I got it right. See statement three of John Frame's assertions. Back to John Frame. No Bible for some reason. Statement three is the three persons are each fully God. Oh, okay. The son's not half God. He's fully God. Well, I got that one right for the wrong reason again, but that's okay. Let's go to the next question. Number 13. In his humanity, the son is subordinate to the father. Of course, any human being is subordinate to God. God is the Father, so that's true. True, I got it right. Oh, though the Son is co-eternal and co-equal to the Father, he also joyfully subordinates himself to the Father. See, for example, John 5.36. Well, first of all, I got to pause here because I need to go look at John 5.36 because this is the first time we've got some Bible here. So hang on, let me see what John 5.36 says about the Son being subordinate to the Father, joyfully. Hang on. John 5.36, Jesus is speaking, and he says, But the testimony which I have is greater than that of John, that's the Baptist, for the works which the Father has granted me to accomplish, these very works which I am doing, bear witness that the Father has sent me. Okay, that's an interesting verse that they choose to show that the Son subordinates himself to the Father. The understanding would be that the Father has given the Son to accomplish works, and the Father sent the Son, so in that way he must be subordinate. Okay, I can think of a lot of other verses where Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, is subordinate to God the Father, but we'll continue on to the next question. Number 14, the Son has the whole fullness of God's being in himself, God's being. Boy, this is not a biblical phrase that I'm familiar with, God's being. But no, I would not say that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, has the whole fullness of God's being in himself. No, that's false. I got it wrong. True, it says. See statement number three of John Frame's assertions. Boy, I really would like to have some Bible to back that one up. But John Frame's third statement is the three persons are each fully God. Boy, that doesn't say that he has the fullness of God's being, even in that statement there. But Question number 15. The Son came into being at the time of his incarnation. Now, I don't really believe there is such a thing as the incarnation, in the sense of a pre-existent being becoming flesh. Oh, boy, that's a tough one for me to answer. The Son came into being at the time of his incarnation. Do they mean at the time of conception? I'll answer it that way. I'll say, yes, the Son came into being at the time of his conception. I got it wrong. That's false. Now, the reason is the Son was active in creation and was not a created being. Hmm. See the Athanasian Creed again. No Bible. The Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, and the Holy Spirit uncreated. 
I don't want to spoil all the fun here, but by saying that the Son is uncreated denies that Jesus is a human being. I can't help but wonder why the Bible says that Jesus is the firstborn of God's creation. But let's go on to the next question. Number 16. The Son was brought into being in eternity past. No, that's not right. He came into being at conception and birth. So I'll say false. False. I got it right. But their reason that Christ was created by the Father before the rest of creation is one of the doctrines of Arianism, a heresy denounced by both the Council of Nicaea and the Council of Constantinople. Okay, so for this one, I got the question right for the wrong reason again. Number 17, the Son is eternal. No, that's false. Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem. So I say false. True. James White. Oh, I got to see James White definition again. Nothing in the Bible. James White definition of the Trinity is within the one being that is God, there exists eternally three co-equal and co-eternal persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These are nice declarations, but boy, you'd like to see more biblical text to back these declarations up. Question number 21. The Holy Spirit has the whole fullness of God's being in himself. Here, once again, God's being. Is that something that one God shares with another? God's being. Uh, the Holy Spirit, no. Uh, the, the whole, where is this in the Bible? Man, I'm just struggling to figure out where these statements come from. The whole fullness of God's being. I, I'm going to say true because I think that's what they want me to say. Got it right. I got, got John Frame to back me up again. Next question. Question 25. In their nature, the Son and the Holy Spirit are co-equal and co-eternal with the Father. No. The Son has a nature that's human. So this is false. Oh, I got it wrong. It's true. The Athanasian Creed says, but the whole three persons are co-eternal together and co-equal. But it doesn't say anything about the nature of them there. I think, again, they're forgetting that Jesus has a human nature, even in Trinitarian Christology. Let's go to the next question. Number 26. The Son and the Spirit are subordinate to the Father in their essence or nature. Well, I already answered this one. That's true. Got it wrong. Athanasian Creed again tells me differently. Next question, 27. God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in different eras or for different purposes, but never at the same time. Now, this is a, a shot at modalism here, but this is false in any case. And I got it right, but for the wrong reason. Next question, question number 28. The persons of the Trinity have distinct roles. Hmm. Persons of the Trinity. There is no such thing as persons of the Trinity. So I'm just going to say false. Got it wrong. Although all three persons are involved in all of God's work, there are distinctions in their focus. We might summarize their roles in redemption, for instance, like this. The Father planned. The Son accomplished. The Spirit applies. Really? The Father only planned? Then he was done with his work after that? 
Hmm. I thought he also raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Next question, 29. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three different names for the one person of God as he displays his work in three distinct roles. It's a shot at modalism, but the statement is false. I got it right. They claim here that this false statement is known as modalism or Sabellianism. Though it has always been regarded as a heresy, it continues to exist. The United Pentecostal Church, Jesus onlyism, for example, affirms a form of modalism. So I think this quiz really is more of a shot at modalists than anybody else. Number 30, a right understanding of the Trinity is vital to right worship of God. Absolutely false. Jesus Christ said, this is eternal life to know you, Father, the only true God and Jesus the Messiah whom you have sent. So the answer to a right understanding of the Trinity is vital to a right relationship with God. False. True, they say. An accurate view of God as Trinity is the foundation upon which we can worship each of the three persons of the Godhead. For instance, if the Son is a created being subordinate to the Father, we have no justification for worshiping him. Now that statement is a denial that Jesus is a human being or that he even has a human nature. So, oh my goodness, to say you can't worship Jesus Christ if he is a human denies that Jesus Christ is a human person or even has an abstract human nature. Question number 31. A right understanding of the Trinity is vital to a right understanding of redemption. That's totally false. Where in the Bible did anyone ever say you must believe in the Trinity to be saved. God, I got it wrong. They say that redemption is illogical and impossible without Trinitarian distinctions. For example, in order for the Father to pour out his wrath on his Son, and for the Father to accept Christ's sacrifice on our behalf, the persons must be distinct. That the Son is infinite God also explains how his death can be infinitely valuable and thus able to pay the just penalty of eternity in hell for all those he redeems. Now, my big problem with that statement, that the Son has to be infinite God, is it directly contradicts the Bible, which says that Jesus is the man, Christ Jesus. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, a man, Christ Jesus, and that as through one man came sin and death, also justification and life come through one man, Jesus Christ. The Bible says specifically that it was necessary and acceptable to God that redemption comes by a man, through a man, Christ Jesus. The last two questions. Question number 32. Any analogy used to explain the Trinity will fail to represent it with complete accuracy. Well, that is true. I got that one right. Their reason for answering this as true is that nothing else is like the Trinity, so no analogy can explain it. In fact, most analogies are more useful for explaining a heretical view of God than the Orthodox Trinitarian one. So Trinitarians should really listen up to this. Quit using these goofy analogies. 
to explain the Trinity. Because in doing so, you're probably explaining a heretical view of God. Now, question number 33, the last one. We cannot confidently derive the doctrine of the Trinity from the biblical text. Absolutely, that's true. Oh, they say false. And the reason, though the word Trinity is not in the Bible, the doctrine of the Trinity is derived from the Bible's many statements about God and the persons of the Godhead. Now, that was the last question of this quiz. And if this last statement is true, I'm just head-scratching here because we had one biblical verse, John chapter 5, verse 26. And if the doctrine of the Trinity is derived from the Bible's many statements about God and the persons of the Godhead, why wouldn't a quiz like this put forth those biblical statements? Notice how they say derive. They admit that the doctrine of the Trinity must be derived from the biblical text because it's not explicitly stated in the Bible. The doctrine of the Trinity is a doctrine of inference. My overall feeling from this quiz is if we have to depend on statements from the Athanasian Creed and from modern theological textbooks to support our declarations of who or really what the Trinity is, because the Trinity is not a who. The Trinity is a what, as James White has said. The Trinitarian God is a what. It's not a who. The main God, the one God, is a what. If our main support for the doctrine of the Trinity are later creeds and modern theological textbooks, there should be a red flag there that this is not a biblical concept, a biblical idea. Now, actually, back on the webpage, right underneath this quiz, they give some relevant scriptures. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight or so relevant scriptures. These got to be the main relevant scriptures. I mean, now I have to say the, the quiz was about historic Christianity, but even that wasn't really fair because I didn't see any second century church fathers describing their view of the Trinity. Somebody like Justin Martyr, who even uses the phrase that the Logos was a second God or another God. Didn't see any of those descriptions. But again, for an evangelical institution, we would expect that our main theological beliefs are founded on the scripture. So let's look at these few scriptures that they put forth here as the main ones. I mean, if I'm a Trinitarian, I'd be ready to open up the Bible and here's Jesus saying, God is one essence in three persons, and all those three persons are co-equal and co-eternal, and there's differences only in their roles or these kinds of statements that were just given. So uh, the first one that give two references in Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, where Jesus says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now, I don't see a trinity in that verse. We have the Father and the Son, and the Son of God is a title for the Messianic King who is to come. But as well, the Son here is given things by the Father. 
we would have to wonder if the Son was a co-equal, co-eternal member of a Godhead, why it would be that the Father would hand things over to the Son. And why wouldn't the Spirit know the Father or the Son? The Spirit has been eternally there, and he still doesn't know the Father. No one knows the Father but the Son. Holy Spirit, where have you been? So this verse actually would discredit the idea that God is a trinity. There's no trinity there, and for sure the Son is lesser than the Father. And then they also give Matthew 28, 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And once again here, just because the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are mentioned in one verse, does not mean that there are three persons in one God. Especially when we can see that in other places in the Bible, the Father is the one God. And one verse before this in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Again, that's a very strange idea to have a co-equal, co-eternal three-membered persons where one member would give to one of the other members. Why not to both members? Or why would they have to be giving in any case power and authority? These scriptures just contradict the idea of a co-equal, co-eternal trinity of God persons in one essence. Now, the next scripture they give is 1 Corinthians 8, 4 to 6. And this one, again, just boggles my mind because in this scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, it says specifically that for us, there is one God. Now, if I'm a Trinitarian, the one God, as that quiz just told me, existed in three persons, co-eternal persons. But here, Paul says that for us, there is one God, the Father. That's a total contradiction to the quiz and the statements that I just went through. One God, the Father, from whom are all and for whom we exist, and one Lord. That's the Adon, the Master, the King that God has placed over all, the Lord, Jesus the Messiah, through whom are all and through whom we exist in the age to come. We only will live because of Jesus Christ. And they also give 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 6. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Now I suppose a person could somehow imagine a trinity of co-equal persons being in one God there, but... I don't think so. There's no declaration here that the one God exists in three persons. Actually, God in this verse has to be the Father, not a trinity. Then the next scripture they give is 2 Corinthians 13, 14, which says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Okay, now, are they assuming here that God, the title of God, only is the Father? I think it is. But why would a Trinitarian assume that? Because God to the Trinitarian should be a Trinity. But here, Jesus Christ is distinguished from God, right? The grace of the Lord 
Jesus Christ. Paul's title for Jesus Christ is very often the Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean that he's Yudhevavhe. The Lord Jesus Christ is distinguished from God. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God. So again, this is not a Trinitarian verse because the Lord Jesus Christ is distinct from God. It's very contradictory to a Trinitarian idea. And then Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, and then 4, 1 to 6. And I'm really scratching my head on this one. How anybody could think, well, I have to be careful because I, I read over this scripture many times and it never slapped me in the side of the head saying, what are you thinking that God is a trinity? Because Ephesians chapter 1 starts out by saying that the Lord Jesus Christ has a God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. So there's a distinction between God and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just a distinction between the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father. No, it's a distinction between the Lord Jesus Christ and God, because God is the Father in Paul's mind. So why this verse is given as an evidence that God is a trinity is really sad because here the Lord Jesus Christ has a God, namely the Father. And then Ephesians 4, again, this is really amazing that they give this scripture as evidence that God is a trinity because in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says specifically that there is one God and Father of all. One God and Father of all. God is the Father. The one God is the Father. So this verse totally contradicts any idea of a three-person Godhead. And then the last reference is given. Now, again, I'm mystified because these are supposed to be the best scriptures of a description of a trinity. Man, I was hoping for something from Moses showing clearly, Hero Israel, your God is three persons in one essence. Or the prophet Isaiah describing the mysteries of the Trinitarian God. Or Jesus himself revealing that God is a trinity. Or Paul taking a whole section of his book of Romans to describe the wonders of the Trinitarian God and their co-equal functions and how they relate to one another and how they're three different persons, but one essence. No, nothing like that, unfortunately. So the last verse they give is 1 Peter 1. And Peter, again, in this introduction to the first epistle of Peter, I think what they're doing is they, they kind of think anytime the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are mentioned in a verse, that's a three-personal God. But why would that have to be? The Bible is clear. God is the Father, and the Spirit is the Spirit of God, and that Jesus Christ is the human Son of God. Just because they're all three mentioned in one verse doesn't mean that they're three persons in one God. That's a huge jump to make. And as a matter of fact, again, Peter distinguishes between God and the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Like we saw in Ephesians, here Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For Peter, our Lord Jesus Christ was not God. 
Now, back on the Gospel Coalition course webpage on the Trinities, the next thing they present are two videos by R.C. Sproul, which, again, I would expect this is going to be like, oh, man, this is going to hit the nail right on the head. And I'd invite you to, to listen to the description by R.C. Sproul. The first one's just like two minutes long. He sort of labors to describe how God is one essence, but three persons. And then the next video is a little bit longer lecture. And I still remember watching this one a, a while ago where R.C. Sproul, toward the end of the electric, he confusedly says, now God is three persons in one essence, but Jesus is exactly the opposite. He's one person in two natures or two essences. See, is that all clear now? Hmm. If God took on a human nature, wouldn't he be at least three persons in two natures? And if he's only three persons, not four persons, that means Jesus Christ is not a human person. So those definitions are very, very confusing. And talk about confusing. Listen to the prayer of R.C. Sproul at the end of the video. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this glorious truth. Okay, great. He starts out by praying to the Father. One has to wonder, after laboring to describe that God is a trinity, why he wouldn't pray to the trinity, or why he wouldn't thank God the Son for the glorious truth that he's about to describe. Didn't God the Son reveal or help reveal the glorious truth when he was on earth? But let's keep listening. Father, thank you for this glorious truth of the intricate composition, which is not a composition, of your very being. So now he says that the very being of the Father is an intricate composition, but it's not a composition. Is this confusing? I know this guy is supposed to be like an expert on describing what the Trinity is, and his prayer is very confusing. I think he's trying to say that the Trinity is a composition, but not a composition. But he's talking to the Father and saying the Father is a composition and not a composition. Again, very confusing for an expert on the Trinity. Help us to understand the depths and the riches that dwelt in the Logos, who was with you in the beginning and was not only with you, but was you. Hold on. I think Dr. Sproul just became a modalist because he said the Logos was with you in the beginning, but was not only with you, but was you. Now he's praying to the Father. He's saying the Logos was the Father. Is that not modalism to a Trinitarian, which Dr. Sproul in this very lecture calls a heresy? Why is he so confused? And was not only with you, but was you. And we thank you in his name. Amen. So he thanks the Father in the name of the Logos, apparently. Interesting. A very confusing prayer. If people would just take the scriptures for what they say, that God is one, the Father, 
and that Jesus is the human Son of God, the Messiah, whom God has placed at God's right hand, the confusion dissipates. To conclude, pages like the Gospel Coalition website's effort to describe the Trinity show that the Trinity is not in the Bible, but is rather a belief of later centuries. It's depending on tradition and not of the Word of God. Evangelical Protestant, have you been hypocritically accusing Jews and Catholics of making void the Word of God for the sake of tradition while you do the same? Yishma'u anavim ve'yishmachu. The humble will hear and rejoice.